Good morning. It's good to see all of you. It's good to be in fellowship with all of you. One of the great things about being a Christian, representing our Lord, is we can go anywhere and we can come in and we can be with the body of Christ. And we have that. I appreciate the comment about unity that we have in Christ and the need for that in our world today and the light of Christ that we need in the world today. It's been an interesting year so far, hasn't it? Yes. Well, I'm here filling in because Brad is away. He's off learning how to be a chaplain. Now, he already knows how to be a minister. He already has all of that training. What he's doing really is just learning some specifics about how to be a chaplain in the military environment. And uh, I think he said I have about an hour. Is that, is that, wh- why is that funny? <laughs> oh, no, I thank you. I'm, I'm only kidding about that, though. It's good to be here. I'm Chaplain Ron Pierce, and Chaplain DeVries, you gonna, have any of you called him that yet? <laughs> uh, I just want you, I want to encourage you this morning. Uh, I am privileged to be here with you, and I wanted to just take this opportunity to encourage you, and also to say thank you for supporting and allowing Chaplain DeVries, Brad, his family and him to be a part of our chaplaincy out at the 189th Airlift Wing at Little Rock Air Force Base. I, want, I just want you to know it's a very important ministry and there is such a need and he has stepped up to fulfill that need and all that God has done in his life, the military and the ministry and the experiences that he has has brought him to this point where God says, now I want you to do this. And I thank you for your support for that and all that goes into that because it is a blessing to have him as part of our chaplaincy on the team there. And so what I wanted to do this morning is just kind of share with you a little bit about my journey as we lead into the scripture. We're going to read a scripture passage here in a moment, but I wanted to do some introductory remarks first. Just uh, kind of share with you how God's used my life and what it means to be a chaplain and, and how that kind of works with ministry and all of that. As I think about my calling into ministry at at a certain point in my life, you know, as I stand here today in fellowship with you, uh, one of the things that really touches my heart is to see a congregation in the Word. Uh, The Word stands. And no matter what's going on around us, whether it's COVID-19 or fires or hurricanes coming our way, all of that shall pass away, right? But God's Word stands And I just want to encourage you, especially you young ones, God's word stands no matter where you're at, no matter what environment you're in. And by the way, just on a side note, it's a wonderful blessing to be in a congregation where the family is worshiping together. As a chaplain, as a pastor for 20-something years now, I've been in a lot of environments and a lot of other churches, a lot of other uh, situations, you know, the, the children might all separate from the adults during worship or something like that. And I just want you to know it blesses my heart more than you even know because you're, you're saying we do this all the time, duh. But to see families worshiping together, that's a very special thing. And I just uh, I thank you for that and want to encourage you about that. So at a certain point in my life, I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I was young. I was 10. And that's when I started my walk with Christ. I was already going to church before that. And I've been in church all my life. And I grew up in a Christian home. And, you know, in my younger years, being a Christian wasn't that much of a challenge. Certainly there were people at school that didn't 
uh, follow Christ and didn't follow Christ's ways. And, you know, I had to juggle through all of that. But generally speaking, being a Christian wasn't that difficult in my younger years. But when I became an adult, when I went into the Air Force at age 18, I was introduced to a whole different thing, a whole different world. And I, and I quickly learned to realize that not everybody follows Christ. Not everybody goes to church. Not everybody has a Christian upbringing. Now, it's interesting. Um, I was at home, and yes, I grew up in a Christian family, but my dad was really strict. I mean, like, really strict. And so in my 18-year-old ignorance, I couldn't wait to get out of the house. And so I was going to go join the Air Force where nobody could tell me what to do. <laughs> How silly was that? <laughs> well, I get in there, and, and they start telling me what to do. But I also learned very quickly that it was not a Christian environment. And it was, a, I'll have to say, it was really hard on me for a while. I was homesick. I got stationed in Germany right away. And I'm trying to walk with the Lord. And here's what you find in the world is people don't mind you saying that you're a Christian. They don't mind that at all. What they don't like is for you to live like a Christian and to actually live out God's word. They have a problem with that. And I think it's because they feel so guilty, right? But ultimately, those first few years in the Air Force were kind of difficult. Uh, as I tried to stay true to God and follow his ways with the pressures from those around me who, didn't, who wanted to resist that. And so you, we all have to deal with that as Christians. And I want to encourage you to stay strong and stay in his word. And that's what the message is about this morning. This idea of representing God wherever we're at. Whether it's in the school environment or the work environment or the military. And the military needs somebody representing Christ in the light of Christ. And Chaplain DeVries, Brad, has agreed to do that. And he's following God's direction in that. And so thank you for your support in that. Now, after my time in the Air Force, I, I went home for a little while. And I spent some time at home because my dad had a terminal illness. He passed away fairly young. And after that journey, uh, that's when I decided to go to seminary. And I want you to know, I was reluctant to go into full-time ministry. I think everybody knew God's calling on my life except me. I was very involved in church, me and my wife, and we, we uh, lay leadership and teaching adults and singing and all the stuff we do in church. I, I loved all of it. And then over time, people were like, are you sure God's not calling you in the ministry? You know? and, then, and then finally I'm like, Lord, are you calling me in the ministry? And then the answer was yes. And so here I am pulling my family leaving a great job, uh, security from a worldly standpoint, and going off to Dallas Theological Seminary. And I just want to quickly share with you something I got out of seminary. Besides a great training in the Word of God, there were some passages that stuck with me. And it really has to do with this theme of following God and being true to Him and His Word, okay? And so I'm just going to read these few passages. You don't have to follow along because this isn't our main text. But here are some passages that stood out to me that God gave me to use in my own personal walk with him as I went through seminary and prepared for a life of ministry. And the first one is 1 John 2.28. Let me just read that for us. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Wow. I tell you, even the first time I studied that verse when we were in that Bible class, that stuck with me and stuck with me 
And God has used that in my life over and over again. And you know, you've been t- you know the, the word. We don't earn our salvation. We come before God as filthy rags. And it's only by his grace that we come into his kingdom. But yet, here's this verse saying that we, when we appear before him, that we have confidence and not shrink from him. I love that picture, that image. You know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of Adam and Eve in the garden when they wanted to hide from God after the fall. You know what else it wants me, makes me think of? You're going to laugh at this, but any of you seen YouTube videos or on Facebook or something where, you know, we love to watch videos of cats and dogs, right? And so there's this video of this, the dog or the two dogs or whatever, and the parents, you know, come back into the house, and maybe there's a mess on the floor or something's torn up, and they'll say, did you do that? And then the dog will go like that. That's the shrinking away. And I want to live my life in such a way, not perfectly, because we all fall short, but that when I stand before God, I don't have to shrink away because I'm following his word and giving it my best shot. And that passage has stuck with me. And it's really about how we live our life as Christians. Don't be ashamed of God's way. Let me tell you, as a chaplain, over and over and over again, I have people come into my office, whether it's an individual or a couple, and their life is turned upside down. And you know why? Because they're not doing it God's way. Over and over and over again. God's word is true. And when you get in that environment where somebody's pressuring you to do something different, when you get in that environment where somebody's teaching something else, and it's going to happen, remember God's word is true. And his way is the best way. And if we could all do it his way, the world would be a much better place, right? So remember that. And that has stuck with me. Now, the second passage is 2 Timothy 4.2. You don't have to turn there either. I'm just going to read it. And this is about really ministry, and Paul is giving his words of wisdom to Timothy. And this was actually the motto of the seminary. 2 Timothy 4.2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Wow, that's pretty direct. In this world, we need that because what a lot of people don't know is why Paul is encouraging Timothy about this. It's the next passage. Listen to this. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Church, let us never compromise God's word and become a church that only wants to hear what we want to hear instead of what God's word says. I look around as a chaplain, as a pastor, into the world around us, and we see that happening. And we need to stay true to God's word. So God gave me that one. And then finally, John chapter 7, verse 18. And this is really a lead into our passage for the day. John 7, 18, Jesus and the religious leaders are going at it like they so often did. And they're complaining and griping about him and even accusing him of not being of the Lord, but being of the devil. And here's his response in John 7, 18. He says, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true and in him There is no falsehood. 
You see, Jesus knew the heart of the people he was fighting with. He knew that ultimately the reason they were rejecting him was because they wanted their own glory. And Jesus came representing the glory of the Father. And that is what I want for my ministry and for my Christian walk. And that's what I want for all of you, is that we walk with Christ in his ways, that we represent him to the world, not only with our words and our preaching, but also with our lives by giving God the glory and not ourselves. Which brings me to our passage for this morning. So if you'll turn with me to John chapter 12, and uh, we're going to read the passage. And uh, then I have a few words to say about it, and I'm not going to go long. I really won't. All right, so John chapter 12, and if we could all stand, I'm going to read verses 42 and following. And as I read it, keep this in mind, this idea of Jesus fighting with the religious leaders who are being resistant to him because they want their glory and not his, okay? Starting in verse 42. Nevertheless, many of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Now, as I continue to read, this is, this is Jesus modeling for us how we're supposed to do it, okay? Verse 44, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given himself, has given, has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. May God bless the reading of his word, and may we all emulate and imitate Christ in representing his word and representing Christ to a dark world around us. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. All right, so here's our context for our passage this morning. Mary has anointed Jesus. And it's a wonderful picture of what's about to happen, and nobody really gets it except Jesus. He's going to die for us. He is going to die on the cross and be buried. And Mary is anointing him. And it's a, very, it's a really powerful moment. We also have the religious leaders looking for Lazarus. You know why they were looking for Lazarus? They wanted to kill him. Why did they want to kill him? Because Jesus had just raised him from the dead. And all of the people were following Christ and looking for Christ and interested in Christ because of the signs and because of raising Lazarus. And so the religious leaders of the day are like, we got to put a stop to this. We need to kill Lazarus. And so they're looking for Lazarus. And then we have the triumphal entry. All of these people, the crowds are coming around. They're, they're interested in Christ. They've seen the signs, the evidence, and they're putting out the palm branches, and Christ enters, and their hosannas and the shouts. It's a wonderful thing. 
And then Jesus tells of his death. And the disciples don't really understand it until after it all happens. But he says, you know what, I'm going to lay my life down for you. And so as the end is approaching here, this is really, in this John chapter 12, it's our last public uh, scene of Jesus before it turns inward and before he trains his disciples one last time and before he dies on the cross. And so as the end approaches, Scripture tells us in John that many people believed. But it also tells us that many people would not believe. And we all have to make that decision, don't we, as we, or we come face to face with Christ in our lives. Or do I believe? Am I going to follow him? And in this passage, we find that many people believe, many people did not believe. But in the passage I read, we have a very important theme here. And it's a theme that John presents several times throughout the gospel. And if you go back and read the gospel of John with this in mind, you'll see it very clear. John is setting up this contrast between those who follow and those who don't. And one of the primary reasons why they choose not to follow, it's not because the evidence isn't there. It's not because it's not power, Christ isn't powerful. It's because they want the glory of man rather than the glory of God. And so my question to you is, do we hide our faith? Do you hide your faith? Do we as a church only express our faith to each other in our little secure environment and then we go out into the world and nobody knows that we're a Christian? Let me uh, look at a passage here in John 5:44. You don't have to turn there. It says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Here again, Jesus is fighting and the religious leaders are being resistant to his teachings and who he says he is. And, and he's identifying the problem over and over again because they're trying to glorify one another. They don't want to give the glory to God. And then in this passage in John chapter 9, this is a very powerful passage. We have a story here. It's a wonderful story. We have a man born blind. And this man born blind has been blind all his life. And then Jesus comes along and he puts some mud on his eyes. And we have this great miracle. This man born blind receives his sight. All I know is I was blind and now I see, he says. But this is a very interesting scenario. And it, here again, Gospel of John is using this to show us this resistance and why. Because even in this story, it's sad to say that this man who was born blind and has been healed... His parents fall into the same trap. You see, the Jew, the religious Pharisees and the religious leaders, they're coming around there. They're asking all about this. They're trying to discredit it. They bring the parents in, and they're questioning the parents. And basically, the parents are like, well, uh, you know, he's a grown man. Why don't you ask him? And they're trying to remain silent on the topic. But Scripture tells us what's really going on here. In chapter 9, verse 22, it says, His parents said these things. Because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. And here again, we have this example of people not coming forward and being bold about Christ. They know good and well why he was not, no longer blind. The miracle that Jesus performed on him. But yet, they remained silent. So let me ask you this. Are you a secret disciple? 
because there really is no such thing. Someone once said, either the secret kills the discipleship or the discipleship kills the secrecy. You can't have it both ways. Now, you can say I'm a Christian. I hear that a lot as a chaplain. And then I have somebody come into my office who says I'm a Christian, and then we find out what's going on in their life. And the reason everything's falling apart is because they're not living like a Christian. And they don't want the Christian solution. See, a secret disciple is, it can't happen. Either you're following Christ, and it's not a secret, or you're not following Christ. Okay? So, chaplaincy. Sometimes people wonder, you know, what are those, cha what are those chaplains do in the military? Is it okay that my pastor is going to be a chaplain now? I just want to encourage you about that because so far I have just really enjoyed the fellowship with Brad and really just having discussions about how can we be a light of Christ into the military world around us. And it's so important because, you know, I have heard since I've been in the military. Anybody in here have experience in the military? So you know what the environment can be like. And, you know, my calling, when I first went in the military to get away from being told what to do, I didn't know what I was in store for, but I quickly found out that some environments can be pretty harsh. But I have heard over time that many chaplains in the military uh, may kind of stray from being solid with God's word. But did you know that's also true outside of the military, in churches and among pastors? Compromising God's word, itching, scratching people's itchy ears. And so in the military, it's very important that we have chaplains who are going to stay strong to God's word. And your pastor is going to do that. And that's what we need. Kind of like McDonald's. <laughs> Any, who likes McDonald's? Raise your hand. Now, I, I'm not advocating McDonald's because I know it's horrible for you. Okay? But if there was only one fast food restaurant left in the whole world and I could choose which one it was going to be, I would choose McDonald's. Okay? Now... The reason I'm using the illustration of McDonald's is think of it this way. When you go across the world, and I've experienced this in the military and other ways, you know a McDonald's when you see it, right? It doesn't even have to say McDonald's. You know it's a McDonald's. How would you like it if you went up to this place and it said McDonald's, but then you walk in and it's all dirty and the food's not the same, the menu's not the same, and the service is horrible, and... It, you're like, this isn't McDonald's, all right? <laughs> Somebody's had some bad experiences, I could tell. But generally speaking, when we see that it's a McDonald's, we know what we're going to get, right? Well, shouldn't it be that way among Christians? When you see a Christian, you know what you're going to get. And what should you get? You should get Christianity. You should get living by God's word, living by his ways, the light of Christ that he wants us to shine into the world. It's like we're the moon, right? The sun is shining light, and we reflect that exact same light. Now, we don't do it as powerfully. We're not as, as perfect as God, but we are reflecting his light into the world. And that's the way we should be, and that's what this passage is talking about. People we're deciding whether or not to believe and follow Christ. And some, it's so sad, they believed in Christ, the passage says, but they chose not to follow because they didn't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. Let us never be guilty of compromising God's word and following Christ because of something worldly, because of some kind of glory that we want for man. Now, let me get real practical with this. 
I want to read some, basically some bullet points for you to do some self-reflection, okay? I'm going to read some bulletin points that, bullet points that may be some markers of someone who is wanting to glorify man instead of God, okay? So, so meditate on this as I read it. Number one, you measure your success by what you see and feel in the moment. If others don't appreciate what you've done, your ministry isn't flourishing, it must be a failure and not worth continuing. Number two, you are motivated and unmotivated in your work, friendships, church, etc. by the praise or lack of praise that you get from those around you. Number three, your decisions are often driven by what others will think. Number four, you are easily discouraged, irritated, or angry when your efforts are not appreciated by others or when others receive credit for something that you have done. You starting to get the picture here? When others praise you, you begin to feel self-confident in your own abilities rather than relying on the Lord to lead and provide. You are more drawn to the type of work and serving opportunities that will be noticed and praised by others. And then you measure success with a short-term view rather than an eternal view. And finally, you only share a surface level of your faith out of fear of offending someone or giving the perception that you are weak, strange, or narrow-minded. In the military, we face that. And as chaplains, we face that. We have to discern, with God's help, where we can be bold and where we can speak out, where we have to be wise, but never compromise. Never compromise our faith or our walk. And that's the light of Christ that we shine into the world, into the military. All right, now here's some other bullets. These are, five, these are markers of people who want God's glory, okay? Let this be us. You find joy in Christ's name being exalted even if you receive no attention or praise in the process. When others praise you, you feel genuinely humbled, undeserving, and overwhelmed by God's grace in your life. You persevere in doing good and find joy in serving Christ even when it isn't glamorous and goes unappreciated. You are excited for those who do well and compassionate and gracious towards those who fall and fail. You do not measure success by the world's terms, but by the truth of God's word. You are honest about your struggles, failures, and sin, recognizing that we are all in the process of sanctification alongside every other Christ follower. You seek to know and pursue what Christ values more than climbing the ladder of success and seeking what the world values. Markers of someone who's giving God the glory instead of man the glory. I know a youth pastor, he's a friend of mine, and uh, he's got a fairly large youth group at the church that he is a minister at, and he loves the number 67. What, what's special about the number 67? Well, how many books are in, the, are in the Bible? How many? 66. Well, the Bible teaches us that we may be the only word of God that someone sees. And so he says to his youth, we're the 67th book. And we represent into the world a Christ that is so needed, a light that is so needed, a path that is so needed. So let us all be the 67th. See, in John, we see a sharp contrast between those who believe and those who don't. 
And John tells us it's not because there is no evidence. It's not because it's not overwhelming who Christ is. The evidence is there. The, the message is there. It's because we don't want to believe. It's because we don't want to follow. There is an old story about tourists wandering through a European art museum, and they're casually making critical comments about some of the paintings that they either disliked or didn't understand. And finally, one of the attendants, frustrated, unable to put up with their discourteous behavior any longer, responded, you know, the paintings in this museum are not on trial. The spectators are. And that is true for God's word. God's word is not on trial. God's word is true. God's word is what we need. God's word is the light and it lasts forever. And it is not on trial. It's the spectators that are on trial. And to the extent that we say yes to Christ and follow him and accept his grace, then we don't receive our righteousness, do we? We receive the righteousness of Christ. And that's a humbling thing. And so as we go through this world, it's not about our glory. It's about the glory of God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Amen.